Discover new mind and body hacks to thrive as a human today. The Institute for Aliveness is here to teach you all the things you never learned in school. From talking poop, sex, childhood trauma, emotional intelligence, psychedelics, and of course, fasting and food. This is a podcast that changes lives. Join your host, Dr. Andrea Page, as she travels seven continents to find the most captivating, impactful humans for you. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to welcome you to a new season of the podcast. This season, I bring you some of the most important embodied people in my life. From all over the world, people I've met along my journey, I thought, hey, why not share them with the world? The following podcast with my dear friend Rachel was an absolute honor to drop into what intimacy means for us, where our own blockades happen in terms of allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and grow, and uh, really my own wading through this space and where my, my own resistances are. And one of my favorite parts of the interview and of, of interfacing with any kind of I want to say awakened master is when you hear them say that my way isn't the only way and trust your intuition. And Rachel definitely said that when I got to the point of like, oh, it just doesn't feel right for me. So make sure to listen all the way through to this one um, from talking about everything like divorce to the interface of relationship and how that is a constant evolution. This will definitely be one that you'll learn a lot from. Enjoy. We're on. Um, everyone, I am here with Rachel, who has shown up in my life really as like, like, well, I don't know if it's the icing or the cherry on top, just like a, mm. a super lovely presence and being that is just so heartfelt and right. And if, mm. if you listening have one of those people in your life who you're just like, yes, like whatever you do, yes, that's how I feel about Rachel. And so, <laughs> so mm. I'm just so deeply honored to have you here. Thank you for joining. Thank you. The feeling is is very, very, very mutual. I'm I'm such a yes to you and everything you do, and I love you so much. You've really you've really changed my life, actually. So you're also one of those people who's made a massive impact on who I am and how I show up in the world. Yay! Yay! What if we just only interacted with those kinds of people, everyone? <laughs> if like those only were our friends. <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's my goal. That's, that's the goal. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So in this conversation, we always don't know what comes up. Um, Obviously, Rachel, your, your past and your history and your present is all around intimacy and exploration outside of kind of the gated walls of normative reality. And so um, I am super curious to see what comes out, but how I want to start, if you will, is just a little bit of your own hero's journey of how you got here and um, where were the mark points in your life where you were like, wait, that's not right, or I don't agree with that, or my body wants something else, or whatever it is. Um, What was your own process to get to where you are? Nice. Wow. Okay. So one of the big things about me that I knew from a young age before going to college was that I, I knew what my kind of skills were. And anyway, I, (laughs) this is actually a funny story. I started off when I, when I was on my way to college, I wanted to be a wedding planner which is quite Mm. funny now because I don't really believe in marriage so much anymore. But that was the (laughs) in was that was that I wanted to be a wedding planner. So I went to college and I actually went to ended up at a college where they have a a degree for event production. So I got my my college degree in event production, which also had a lot of studies around um, uh, what do they call it? Um, 
recreation and leisure services. So it's like, it's like community building in a way. Um, so mm-hmm. it was the, like at a young age, I was just kind of already on track, but I got a little off track, but on track by then getting my degree and moving to Los Angeles, where my goal was to produce large scale award shows. Like, I just thought mm-hmm. if I end up producing award shows as an event producer, that will be like, that will be, I'll, I will have made it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I did. And I did that. I lived in uh, Beverly Hills. I uh, worked at a five-star hotel and uh, was part of the event production team that put on the Golden Globe Awards and did a bunch of press junkets, Hollywood premieres, release parties, Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week. Like I was mm-hmm. really in the glitz and glam of Hollywood event production life. And mm-hmm. there was something deep inside of me that was still so unfulfilled and, and quite miserable. And, you know, it's like working so hard, making such little money to pay the rent of the place that I'm never in because I'm working two jobs and it's like this mm. whole struggle and something around that started to really crack. But I think I was, I was still holding on to it because of my love of, of it's like creating experiences for people. Mm-hmm. And um, around this time, uh, my parents, uh, when I was young, my parents got divorced when I was six. And then within one mm-hmm. year, both remarried people uh, who were already divorced with children from previous marriages. So at six, I went from like a little tiny home, single family home to double, like I would even almost call it like a quadruple home of mm. having four parents and four brothers and four sisters living in multiple houses. So my life also, my family life also became very communal. And when I, uh, 20 years later, my parents both divorced those people they had remarried within the same year. So I went wow. through a bit of a crisis <laughs> in my life around uh, like who who I was and family and my parents also went through really nasty divorces all like mm. all the all of their divorces were always really really nasty both the divorce my the divorce my parents went through and those to their subsequent partners and it was this question for me like how can you love someone so deeply and have a life and a family and then hate them so much like really venomously hate them and it didn't mm. make sense to me so I started going to therapy and while I was in therapy around this time because of this my therapist looked at me and she was like you should be sitting in my chair like you should be <laughs> you should be doing this you're so good at it and it was it was this very pivotal moment in my life I'll never forget where someone saw me and reflected me back to me in a way no one else had and because of her seeing me like that I went back to school to get my master's as a sex therapist uh, as a Mm. marriage and family marriage and family counselor and and just started doing all this work on myself and went through this huge um what to say like awakening to mm-hmm. my sexual being and what I really wanted. And at first it looked like coming out as a lesbian for a year um, because I had never owned my attraction sexually for women. 
and mm-hmm. through this kind of human sexuality class living in, you know, Beverly Hills near West Hollywood, I was able to do that. And so I came out for a lesbian first as a year. And then an ex-boyfriend came into town and visited me. And I realized I wasn't a lesbian. <laughs> I, was a bi- <laughs> I was a bisexual. So then I was like, okay. And then then there was this new thing. Okay, well, now I'm not a lesbian. I'm a bisexual. But when I'm with a woman, people call me a lesbian. And when I'm with a man, people call me straight. And what I really want is to be with both. Like, I would really love to have a girlfriend and a boyfriend. And how mm-hmm. could that even work? And, you know, almost almost 10 years ago, that, like, polyamory wasn't a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But through some small grapevine, I found out about it. So I started this crazy, first, I started just reading everything. And uh, everything that I could and researching online, and doing like the self exploration, and trying to then like, um, be the um, advocate for my monogamous friends. Like, you guys, look at this thing that we can do. We can all date each other. <laughs> and it's like a thing. And and we don't have to just be with one. We can be with multiple people. And that didn't last long because they weren't, like, bought in on their own journey. Mm. So then this this real big need for me to find community came because mm-hmm. I needed to find and meet people who could reflect me back to me. And that's when I started finding these communities of people who were gathering together around consciously exploring alternative ways of relating. And that's really when my life took off in a new way. Mm -hmm. How old were you at that point? Uh, 20, I was around 25, 25, I'd say. Okay. So just after Jupiter returned, when the world opens up to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was, yeah. Um, um, and so with that, um, my work life and my relational life started to um, intertwine more because I realized that I couldn't produce a- events anymore for celebrities in Hollywood. Like I couldn't, it, like it wasn't nourishing my soul. In fact, it was just draining me. So mm-hmm. when I started attending these events to find community, I realized that this was what mattered to me. Um, and then my I scrapped. I basically left Hollywood and L.A. and I moved to San Diego where I found a community and said, this is what I want to dedicate my life to is doing events that matter, doing events mm-hmm. that actually change and transform people's lives instead of getting some celebrity more you know, likes or something like this, you know, it was like very clear to me, my soul's purpose started to align. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the big, you know, you asked for moments and, and points in my life. And that mm-hmm. was that basically led to where I'm at and what I'm doing now, which is essentially, you know, traveling the world Uh, mostly Europe, sometimes America, and sometimes Southeast Asia, um, producing and facilitating events. And so like the evolution of that story where I've jumped fast forward to now, um, after the last uh, almost 10 years is, is, is events around uh, what I call embodied intimacy. Um, And what does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, 
embodiment and intimacy. No. <laughs> um, so embodied intimacy is like, it's so funny when you work with something so much, it gets harder to explain what it is because mm-hmm. the whole concept becomes more vast, but it's like um, coming from a body centered or bottom up approach to relating. So not relating or um, from the top down, which is like the mind down to the body, but rather like from the body up to the mind. So present moment, body awareness of what's actually happening. And in order to understand what that is, you actually have to be that first. Like you can't, for me, the embodiment comes before the intimacy, because if you're not fully embodied and inhabiting your body, who is actually showing up to be intimate? Mm. So the journey for us in, in everything, for me and everything that I do is becoming embodied and actually like fully inhabiting the present moment from the depths of whatever I'm able to access in my physical form. And then from that place, sharing that, like taking the risk to be fully seen and revealed as vulnerable as that can be. And for me in that space is where I find the intimacy. And I found, I think my own journey, parts of my own journey and parts of this journey of this story that I mentioned was needing to kind of liberate myself sexually Um, to understand who I was. And that sexual liberation was really important. But I also see how a lot of that sexuality was me just needing to get in my body and using sexuality as the door because I didn't know that there was other ways I could be in my body with people that that wasn't sexual. Mm -hmm. So like why I'm so passionate about this now is that it's like, I think that that a lot of people do this. They, they are trying to just get to sexuality because the animal body wants to have a conversation. It wants to dialogue and feel and in that feeling find safety and then find connection and opening and then healing. And so I like, I want to give people those tools so that they see that there's a whole other world available in connection with other animals that leads to the most profound intimacy that isn't just around sexual and sensuality or around talking and thinking and strategy, but it comes mm-hmm. like deeply rooted in this innate wisdom and knowing that we all have in our body. Mm. <laughs> this is so beautiful. I mean, it ties us right back. Thank you for sharing also your story. Uh, and on behalf of everyone listening, I'm sure that there were so many common points between divorce to self-discovery to realizing that everything you've done until today has prepared you effectively for today. And um, I think a beautiful thing here that we're weaving in is one of the first episodes on this season uh, was with Jennifer, who's a trauma specialist, and mm. we talked a lot about in- embodied trauma and psychosomatics at large. And um looking into really when we come into intimacy when we're faced with another being that's almost when all of our triggers and traumas come up and I know for myself like I'll just put myself out there first um that definitely when I get close to men especially men who might be interested in me sexually like I can't help but I don't know if it's a betrayal of my body or close off because I have this whatever scarred thought pattern of something can be taken from me. And in the work that I've been doing on myself very intentionally over the past year and a half, 
uh, I've come to a place where I'm like, okay, nothing can be taken from me. And so bringing those concepts and the ideas and the evolution from the mind to the body is the work that I'm really hearing that you do. And that's the work that we do in, in the Live for Vitality and the Institute for Aliveness movement. And so it's so deeply aligned. Very deeply aligned. Yeah. And this is, you know, it's funny. This is also my relational work too. I, after, you know, where this story leaves off that I told before is I got heavily into polyamory. I, in fact, I was like an advocate. I was on TV about it and doing interviews about it and waving my, you know, waving my flag. And I found like what I find now, even today is that I'm doing all of that as like, it's not because it becomes, it comes so easily and freely to me as much as I believe in free love and it's hard and it's where all my trauma is stored. Actually, like there's nothing that evokes my traumatic responses in my body, like my partner being with another woman, nothing actually. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm committed to that work and I'm committed to figuring out what's there because something is there. And it's not just this belief that I think a man and a woman, you know, should be together exclusively. It's like, there is some deep trauma there for me around my parents' divorce, around what that did to me, around um, being faithful or not faithful, or like it, it, it ties all back to this. So I look at it exactly as, as my journey of understanding my body to inform my mind and the decisions that I make going forward. Oh, there are so many important pathways there because we can look at modern society and just see how shut down most people are if it's about the trauma of divorce on children. If it's mm. Of separation on ourselves, be it a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or even separation from a job or a living situation or whatever it might be, we don't have a certain kind of ceremonial essence to come in and out of transitionary processes. And that leaves a tremendous amount of trauma stored not only in the body, but in in how we think. And so, yeah, like like so much kudos to you for, for opening up those doorways and looking inside. And I hope anyone listening starts to inquire like what what has happened for me that I've not actually looked at and in one way mourned and in one way celebrated and in one way just asked what's going on here what's actually going on here no it's great it's great there's so much like psychologically when we look at how do we separate like how do you, how did you separate from your last big relationships? How do you just separate in general? And that energy of separation holds so much, especially from our childhood, that I'm that I'm um, kind of fascinated by and also studying in myself right now. And um, mm-hmm. even with just with my partner now, like how do I how do we separate when I go away and he goes away? Like what happens in me? What are like what do I do where where I get like you know, I I shut down or I pull back or I don't call him for a day to see if he calls me like all of these little Mm -hmm. psychological things that are happening. It's um, there's endless amounts of um, material to work with. (laughs) (laughs) There so is. There so is. I mean, relationship, we take all of our own infinite pathways, our own infinite traumas, and then we just magnify it, double it, quadruple it. Um, mm-hmm. increase the possibilities of what could happen and how we can be triggered and I mean I think we should go no further without acknowledging that relationship is the ultimate mirror and that everyone love hates their partner whatever yes. kind of partner it might be if it's a best friend or a sister or your lover or your 
your husband or your wife or whatever it might be. Yeah, I think actually the more you love someone, the more you the more you're able to hate them. <laughs> it's, like mm-hmm. this, it's this perfect <laughs> it's this perfect contrast <laughs> that we kind of I I have me and my partner kind of joke about now like we even say like sometimes like I hope not in a, I don't want to to promote this but we're like I hate you so much right now it's like <laughs> and I can only hate you this much because I love you that much it's like really yeah. you mean that much to me because someone who I'm indifferent to or someone who I don't know or don't like I can't hate them at all really yeah totally totally <laughs> totally I think I said on another episode of the series of course the love hate linear relationship is not linear it's actually a curved spectrum where love and hate are the opposite ends of that spectrum but because it's curved it's almost like a circle with this little break in the middle right and mm. so they're much closer than they seem and that wow. little break is of course what would create unity <laughs> and oneness where duality of the love hate doesn't exist anymore and people think oh no everything's love all is love you must love and it's like cool love is actually only one spectrum okay maybe there's unconditional love but what i find is the ultimate non-duality is peace So between our our vacillation of like love to hate with our partners, do we spend those moments in peace and how many moments are just peace? Like that's a real question to ask, not how many moments are love. I love that. Someone else was saying something very similar to me yesterday, in fact, but um, they were saying joy instead of peace, actually, Mm -hmm. which which is interesting that 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 joy was more the barometer for. I don't know how to say this, this quality of something we're aiming for relationally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Joy junkies, like people have branded me as that before. And Mm. I'm like, Hey, my moon's in Scorpio. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, because there's so much depth and presence and underworld work and darkness that also comes Mm. with balance and reality. And so um, sometimes I think joy is overbranded in a way. Mm. And this is what I face a lot in, in what I'm designing in the tech world, because theoretically what I'm designing by virtue of intelligence amplification uh, should be to keep the human in a fully optimized state. And yet right, that optimized state would then equate to joy at all times or happiness at all times or peace at all times or whatever it is. But actually, the fully optimized state is that you look back to those triggers and the traumas and you actually do the work of induced self-reflection to go and dive deep and reemerge transformed. And so it's not always all rainbows and butterflies, but that like it's deep and dark and pivotal and painful at points. And it's so important for all of us to dive in. And I've, I've definitely been doing that over the past I'd say, two weeks when it comes to relationship. Um, mm. And, you know, it's like, it's funny, actually, because I'll call some of my friends on the phone, like, kind of pitching out for their life awareness support, and to just, like, get a new perspective on whatever I'm in or share where I am. And um, it's, it's been like this common pattern of two responses. The first one is, wow, it's so good to see you like this. <laughs> I'm like what does that mean like it's good to see that you too have bad days that kind of thing and then the second response the second response has been usually without fail like um something to do with um it's going to be okay and I'm like I know it's going to be okay and they're like well like 
essentially a, a certain amount of observation of how fast the storm is hitting the fan or the shit is hitting the fan, the storm is hitting the ground, <laughs> whatever the analogy is, but like how fast, because I'm so willing to go in and excavate. And there's another, I was in the middle of excavating on another podcast in this, uh, this season with Grace and Kirby, where I was like, just post that point of excavation and and it's just this when you do the work, it's an observation of when you actually like full on put your scuba gear gear on and dive in. The work can be done quite quickly. It doesn't have to be this thing that that you know we're dragging around over our shoulder for five years, ten years, fifty years. So yeah, that's what I have to say about joy. <laughs> I love it. it uh, I you you say so many um, incredible things, and I have like five different threads that I could pull on. Um, please all but, <laughs> yeah I will say you know it's really interesting I was just at a wedding this weekend and the bride mm-hmm. um a beloved friend of mine she the day before her wedding her she she was really sick and she had um an abscess in her throat that she had to have drained and they were oh. draining like blood and pus and all of this oh. stuff out of her throat and she's a singer and, and then that day she said, I, she came back and she was all sick. And so we held a little women's circle for her. And what was so, what I just loved, which is so rare is she laid down, we sat around her and she just let her body move all the trauma of that experience. She let herself cry. She let herself be held. She said the things she needed to say, like she went back there and I was just looking at this and I was like, this is fucking brilliant that someone (laughs) knows their body well enough. They don't hold on to this. They just lay themselves. Like we didn't have to do anything. We just sat around Mm -hmm. her and she just let the trauma of this experience of having her throat um, cut open. She just let it move. And Mm. the next, like within hours, all of the sickness, all of the pain, she was just a new person. Mm. And you're exactly right. It's like, uh, I like the more the faster we can let the body do what it naturally wants to do anyway, which is to heal itself. Mm-hmm. The the deeper and quicker we can let those things go, and they don't have to continue to carry so much of the uh, baggage along with us, which just accumulates and creates more disease and 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 pain, essentially. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so we actually referenced this earlier in the trauma episode. Um, there's a modality that I'm trained in called somatic experiencing that oh, is precisely that, right? It's, it's going back to the trauma and then looking at what your body didn't get to do either in response or um, immediately following or whatever it was that it's, it's in, within your body kind of embedded in this yes. holding pattern that through returning to the trauma on let's say at least a mental level and then bringing it back into the body and allowing yourself to go all the way through or respond to or react in the way that your friend did like that that is somatic experiencing and it, it has oh my god shown such incredible results and yeah sometimes all it needs is the space held for it and that was the circle that you had around your friend where it's like, okay, we're here and you can do the work. And sometimes we won't do the work on our own. Like when I was doing the work sitting in the bathroom on the bathroom floor in Paris two weeks ago, 
just like crying my eyes out all day because I picked the sorrow card in the morning from the Osho deck, which is the card about Buddha's cousin that was crying when Buddha was enlightened. And everyone said, why are you crying? He, he, he was enlightened. It's happy. And he said, no, I'm not crying for him. I'm crying for myself that I've been by him for 42 years. And I myself have not reached and attained enlightenment. And he cried all night long in the morning because he had felt his pain. He was enlightened. And so when I picked the sorrow card, I was like, oh, looks like you have to face some stuff today. Like, why is this triggering you? What's coming up? What's actually going on right now? And so whether it's using a tarot deck or using writing or what I did is I called my circle in. I called in my people from all over the world. And I had one phone call after another with like tons of processing, crying stuff in the middle. And I got down to it, you know, because sometimes we need that circle to do the work. We do. We need that circle to do the work. It's true. I love that you did that. And I'm so curious what you're moving through and where you're at now. Like, I want to know more. I want to know more of the details. Like, what happened? And what did you learn? And what did you what did you grieve? And where are you at now? Mm-hmm. I think, well, you can listen perhaps to... Um, to the episode with Grace and Kirby to to like get more in and and understand especially in that moment it was like literally she called me at the <laughs> at the time where I'm like wiping off tears and we start the podcast recording um, oh amazing it's like it's it's going back to um to childhood to the feeling of I don't know, maybe unworthiness or disenfranchisement when my father used to yell at me when I was a child and like um, so many things about myself and so many things about um, my relationship to men in general. And yeah, Mm. it's just the the seas are so vast and rich. And um, yeah, I mean, I have such a meta mind where it's always like, okay, what's actually going on here? And I constantly want to zoom out. And for that reason, because I'm so intense, perhaps because of the moon in Scorpio or whatever it might be, um, I found over the years of teaching yoga, embodiment arts, consciousness in general, that I'm really not a teacher for beginners. Um, and I mm. deeply appreciate what you do because you have no level, right? Intimacy has no level. You bring everyone in. You bring everyone to the table. And mm. it's like the, the amount of threateningness we're all at that threshold. Um, mm. so, what would you say about that? Yes, I would say you're exactly right that that it is like there is no advanced level of intimacy. I look at intimacy like a muscle and mm-hmm. I look at each person that we share intimacy with like working out a different muscle because each person is holding and reflecting something back to us. And like the, it's like I call we call it a lot like the dance of yes. And it's like finding you, that you have a, the, the idea is that you have a yes for every single to share intimacy with every single person. It's just about what that yes is. And so with some people, intimacy is being really up close and like, you know, in, in, a, in a full on body to body embrace. And for other people, the most intimate thing you can do is stand across the room from someone and just mm-hmm. eye gaze. And so it's like, for me, intimacy of the, is the journey of finding out what the yes is, and not only f- being able to find it out with each person, but being able to express it, and then being able to move into it. 
And so no one ever becomes a, a master of this because there's always a new form or person or way or scenario. And there's always someone who we're repulsed by or not attracted to or deterred by or scared of or threatened by. And, and for me, I can't practice enough um, of finding myself in these new situations where I'm challenged to find intimacy with someone. But it's like, it's these moments where someone who was like, for me is I've been really geeking out around these people. There's people who I see and I wouldn't look twice or someone I would even see and think that they weren't like, that I wasn't attracted to them. And then there's this moment where they become utterly beautiful Mm. and that's the moment now that I'm searching for with each person that I meet because Mm. I find that's like whenever that shift happens if I can really zoom in and find that moment where I go from indifferent or not attracted to like oh my god their beauty is overwhelming like these are the moments where I crack the code of actually becoming intimate (laughs) wow and how would you, I mean, you've been doing this work for so long and, and you probably teach it and literally live it in mm. so, like, so many ways. I mean, yeah, I, there's so much I could say and I would just encourage everyone to look you up on, on Facebook and anywhere else and, and they'll be able to see how you really reveal all insides. Like intimacy isn't a game you play or something that you teach or a curriculum that you hold. Like intimacy is every breath you take and it's the honesty with which you show up in life both publicly and privately and like I mean just massive respect for that Mm. but for someone who's not as practiced as you even for myself who like I I just know through my astrological imprints be it the moon in Scorpio or be it my Venus in Aries that's like the shields up get away from me kind of thing it's not something that that ever comes easy to me um Mm. and of course that means that it's a huge area of growth but like what would you say to be able like what are the first steps I mean in terms of what you just shared which is like a compassion exercise in a way that the compassion is what gives you the most intimacy on a mind and a meta level like that's much easier but like in a physical visceral responsive way what are your hints Mm. Interesting. I mean, in a way, it's like moving towards and and sometimes it's just moving towards what's not comfortable. And sometimes it's actually full on embracing the discomfort or the awkwardness of the moment with someone. Um, like, like this is for me, these are the moments for me is like, those moments that contain an element of risk, Mm -hmm. those moments where I'm like, no, I'd rather not. Like whenever there's that with a person and with a connection to a person, like that's actually what I need to lean into. Mm -hmm. And that, that process is where I find so much of the intimacy with another, with another being is, is those less than comfortable, not fairy tale, not Hollywood movie romantic, but those like, yeah, I just say like, um, yeah, those, 
just uncomfortable, awkward uh, uh, moments um, and to find presence and, and to bring more awareness to that part that isn't fully being loved or owned, like mm-hmm. to start moving towards that in some way in, in, in however you can. And for, I think for each person it's, it's hard because every person is on a scale where it's so different, but it's like finding those moments where you can be seen as you are and revealed mm-hmm. in the parts of you that aren't part of your personality, that aren't part of your strategy, that aren't part of who you're normally seen as, like those parts that you're keeping hidden, those parts that are still in the closet, those parts that you you haven't yet verbally or or embodied, be, being seen and fully embodying them, like those pieces for me, that's like a... I don't know if that's tangible enough. Wait, say that again. Those pieces for me? Uh, those pieces are, for me, are the pieces that hold the key of mm-hmm. what to start to move towards to mm-hmm. find and create and establish more intimacy in the connections. And a lot of it has to do with the, with your, with self-intimacy. It's like one of those fun, funny things is like, you can only love someone as much as you love yourself. It's the same. You can only be as intimate with others as you are with yourself. And, and like, um, and fully, fully revealed is, is the best phrase that comes right now. And like being, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm just trying to think of examples for the audience of self intimacy. Like, um, there's some good examples, especially when people start to do high on self-worth. Like, let's say it's an interpersonal situation in which you're working in an office and you need to be uh, making decisions as a team. And one time someone has a really strong perspective over this and the other person looks at them and has like that established platform of safety and trust and love and says to them, is this actually you defending this cause or are you actually, are you trying to do this to get back whatever you lost last time? Or are you trying to do this to one up me from this? Like, you know, actually speaking to the, the subtitles and the, the, the thing that's under it, that when we have that conversation with ourselves about why am I doing this right now? Right? Is this coming from spirit or is this coming from ego? Why am I doing this right now? Is it a product of my fear and my childhood trauma? Or like what is actually happening? That that's that's a way of, of I guess the gateway to self intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, no, not as. I don't think so. Um, so okay, so here's an. I'll try a more embodied example because that will that will feel better for me right now as a leaving something would be like. Okay, so your comfort level, and I'm guessing you're different than most people, but your comfort level would just like placing your hands on your own body and taking a deep breath and just like sounding from your own body and maybe even like touching different places on your body, like putting your hand on your heart and then letting some sound come from your heart and really hearing that like raw, unedited sound of the body. Mm -hmm. Like mm-hmm. for me, this would be a practice for me of my own self-intimacy would just be like me touching my own body and letting my body communicate to me through me in raw sound. Mm-hmm. 
And so my own level of like, like mastery of that, of being able to not just make a sound, like hit a note or make this particular sound, but it's like, for me, it is the sound. It is the vibrational frequency that communicates the truth of my animal body's experience right now. So there would be, so self-intimacy would be, bless you, my ability to do that with myself in a room. And then what would be the next step to that is, can I do that while in physical connection with another body? Can I lay down with you and breathe with you and touch bodies with you and allow my body to make its raw sound and your body to make its raw sound and let us have a dance in this? Mm. That so would be like the way, next step. There's almost a way of, uh, because like I, I think immediately to the barriers to change for this of... Um, if someone is a people pleaser or if someone immediately starts acting different when someone else is in the equation for fear mm -hmm. or for desire of mm -hmm. having an outcome, a certain outcome. And so it's like rather than that, just allowing yourself to be and do exactly how and what you will want if you are alone. Yes. And and if you can't, what's in the way of that and whatever is in the way of that the awareness of that and the ability to communicate that for me is part of the intimacy. Yeah. And you bring, what were you going to say? Yeah. Like the more of that you bring and the more raw and in the more in real time for me, this becomes the master levels of intimacy is me being the fullest expression of me fully in tune with my body and everything that is happening in real time and bringing that to you as a gift or an offering of wanting deeper connection by fully being seen and or fully seeing you, you know, and also noticing the other and the impact of the other and being able to, to uh, dialogue and communicate with what you notice, like all of those really subtle embodied communications for me, though, all of that is like juicy, juicy intimacy. It's very, I mean, it's very interesting. It's uh, of course funny that, um, the cerebral being that I am, the into spiritual intellectual that I am, that like my first entry concept point to intimacy was honesty with oneself. I mean, it's interesting because you, you talked at the beginning about the, the bottom up approach where it's coming from the body. And from me, it's coming from the mind to say like, what are we actually doing here? And I think a, a, big, the, a big reason that the following here comes back and, and in a way trusts me is because of the way in which I don't allow for ungrounded esotericism, that I keep things really real and really tangible and mm. speak all the things where, you know, the normal whatever wispy yogi might say, open your heart and mm. what do we actually mean? What are we actually experiencing? What's actually going on? Let's unpack it intellectually before yes. just trying to embody the openness of your heart and that kind of thing. Um, and so yeah, in, in putting my own head on its head kind of thing and um, opening into a different level of understanding of if we can come back into our primal urges, if you will, or be so cerebrally distant or secondary where it's not about the mind. It's actually fully about accessing like this is what my body feels and wants right now. 
and then tap into what I would call flow state, which is what you're referring to of allowing things to organically come up and not stifling them in any way, shape or form. It's like getting into an embodied flow state and then the intimacy is is a lot like allowing someone else into your own embodied flow state. Yes. Is that what yes. you Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it, it's one way. Yeah. What, yeah. And it? and not only allowing someone into it, but finding the embodied flow state of your two animal bodies together. Mm-hmm finding the place where you can both be in flow together through like breath, sound, movement, and touch. Like those are, those are the, the points that I'm working with mostly. And what if I just like, I still feel resistance of like, that's not either that's not my path or I don't want to, I just don't want to do that. I don't feel that I don't know, maybe it's like tickling enough trauma, old whatever points that I'm averse to it. And also the honest, like it just doesn't feel right to be doing that with any random person for me specifically. Yeah, then I think that that's I, like for me, there's that to be in that situation and to be able to express that, like I would feel like this is this is also intimacy for me is like that you are as in touch with your own needs, wants, desires, boundaries, to be able to have that awareness and to be able to express it fully. And then it's like, cool, like how, what way would work better for you? Maybe you're more of like a, like an intellectual intimacy kind of person. Yeah, like exactly. maybe the, the, the way that you experience intimacy is like super intellectual conversations and really getting to unfold someone's mind. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is this is this is different and this is just a different form of intimacy that I can also kind of geek out in but not the one that I'm um not the one I'm holding space for. Yeah. Wow. Cuz I think I think a lot of this exists in the world very very naturally whether people think that that intellectual intimacy is a thing or not but it sounds like the that that would that is a very valid way of doing intimacy that I would never discredit. Yeah. But no. for me, it's it's about like embodiment is the key. And for me, when we're working with embodiment, we're working directly with the body and allowing the animal bodies to make contact. So one way that I found that kind of links the two and I, I actually want to offer the audience as a practice was something I learned um, in a Tantra setting years ago. Um, and it kind of flirts on the line between red and white Tantra of... Um, sitting with a partner and it, it could also I've actually done it over text but sitting and describing the visceral experience that you currently have in the other's presence whether it's cyber or in person mm-hmm. not cyber sex but just like cyber tantra um and remember it's, it's still towards white tantra so there's no touching or anything but what uh what you say is the experience of being with that person and it comes from the thought often uh, and so I might say, like, when I'm with you, I feel really grounded in my legs and really present in my physicality. And then you respond by saying, in hearing that, my visceral experience is, and you say what you're sharing. And it kind yeah. of ping-pongs back and forth and often tends to heighten. And the arousal and the intimacy that this can bring, in, and I would say, like, bonding or binding two people together even more 
um, is very captivating. Yes, amazing. So we do this, we call it ERAP, which is an acronym for Embodied Relational Awareness Practice. But we don't use, um, we're never speaking about the interpretation. And maybe this practice that you did does too, but it's just the raw material. So I notice heat in my chest. I notice the corners of my mouth turn upward. Instead of saying something like, I notice I smile, which is an Mm. interpretation, coming back into actually the even more raw data that informs our typical interpretations. And then sharing, hearing you share that, I notice, and hearing the impact of this person's um, real-time embodied uh, um, experience, hearing the impact that that has on another body, and kind of dancing back and forth with that in real time. Yeah. And what's amazing about this, too, is this this practice is also use like an embodied practice that you can do with someone also online or on a video call or on a phone call and hearing like for me, it does. It's like um, time traveling in a way Mm -hmm. that our that our bodies can come into present moment reality and be impacted by one another and yet not be sitting in front of one another as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, and maybe one last question. Um, I haven't decided actually yet. My brother's been giving um, lectures in, around Boulder. You should send your brother. <laughs> we have brothers. Yeah. Brothers. Um, about the permaculture of polyamory. So I haven't decided yet if I want to host him on the on this episode on this uh, season of the podcast yet or not. But there'll be. A greater expanse, perhaps, into polyamory, but just to kind of give anyone listening thus far a preview or a peak view into the potential world beyond, if they haven't heard about other ways of relating, what would you say? What would you say? Yeah. So, essentially, like, okay, so where I'm at, I'm at a very different place in my journey now, too, but um, for me, what... I went from, you know, monogamy to polyamory to then there's open relating, there's free love, there's relationship anarchy, there's all of these things. And for me, I think that kind of hopping around these different concepts or ideas is interesting as stepping stools or or stepping, um, building blocks. But for me, what's more interesting is like almost even like... Sometimes I call it fluid relating, which means mm-hmm. like changing in time and space. So it's more this idea of like, like creating the relationship style that fits the shape of your heart. Mm. Because for a long time, I thought because I wanted to be with more than one person at a time, that that meant that I was polyamorous. But mm-hmm. in reality, it's really difficult to actually have more than one relationship at a time in certain kinds of ways. And so I don't always find myself with actually more than one relationship. You know, Mm -hmm. I have a primary relationship and I have a lot of really close lovers and people who are friends or soul tribe or, and that's what's working for me and my relationship constellation right now. So for me, what's super interesting is empowering people to have the tools to figure out how to even begin to find and accept and move towards the kind of relating that fits them. Mm -hmm. So for some people, it's being in a triad relationship, but that that triad is 
So a triad would be looked at as polyamory, but is like, what if they're in a triad that's closed, meaning they only date each other? It's still kind of, it's still polyamory, but there may be monogamous in their polyamory. So it's like, there's such a vast landscape of ways that one can relate. And for me, the interest, the most interesting thing is finding out what's your unique way instead of the next box that you think you need to fit into to have a context that makes it safe or understandable or relatable or et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's and I think as as it becomes more and more popular and more and more people try it, I think this will happen more that people will be experimenting and exploring and each finding like, oh, this didn't work for me, but this really did. And and that's what I'm interested in is finding that. Yeah. Yeah. And how we relate and use relationship as a vehicle to fuel our own growth and to do the work of self-development rather than escape into it and always maintain autonomy um, and avoid codependency as much as possible. Oh, this is so true. This is one of my biggest, um, uh, best learnings actually lately is I have a primary partner and I started dating um, another guy recently. And, and the same thing that happens with me and my primary partner <laughs> that uh, felt like our really unique thing happened with my new boyfriend and I was like, like face palm, it's oh shit it's not them it's me and it was that moment of like oh this is my thing when you see it show up with more than one person, which normally people don't get that opportunity. Normally you're with one partner and this thing is the thing that pops up with them. But when you date multiple people, your stuff comes up with multiple people and you see uh -huh. that it's not the people, it's you and your stuff. So yeah. this has been oh, my latest and greatest self-growth development is now searching for those things. What are those things mm -hmm. that I find that are the things that pop up in every relationship, regardless of, of who it's with mm -hmm. and diving deeply into that work for myself? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my stance for years has been non-monogamy and that's, I mean, it's defined by what it's not rather than what it is. Um, and it, I guess could be that fluid relating that you're referring to where it's, look, I don't want to play by the rules of your white wedding and uh, a very westernized version of relationship and marriage where obviously we think this one person can fulfill all our wildest dreams and should and, and we're bound to them for eternity and it should work mm. out even though, of course, now we know 50% divorce rates plus that um, I've only come around in the past year and a half. I spent the beginning of last year um, I spent two plus maybe three, two and a half months straight in India, like immersed in India with my family, like friends, like family. And um, I was just so brought into um, the Indian understanding of relationship and marriage, which is very much as a business deal. Mm -hmm. like that's what that's what it is. It's a strategic contract based union. And so when you come into the relationship then with your partner, they're more like a partner in the way of a business partner. It doesn't necessarily mean that you project onto them making you happy, right? It means mm. that we are uniting our family lineages in this way and allowing 
for us to build together and create together. And it's like, I found that structure so much more liberating than the white wedding fantasy honeymoon kind of Western style. And so I started rethinking marriage and rethinking all of it. And um, then just finally, why I was doing all this deep, deep dive work was I found, I found a man that I was like, okay, I could see myself actually marrying that person. And I never had said that before. No one else had ever shown up in that way. And so like a month in, I don't know, I'm not sure. Maybe it was just like, he was a symbol. I'm not, I think Mm -hmm. it was just like to allow my brain to have that quality of vehicle of opening up into possibility and, and thinking in new ways. And I think that as you share your own differing perspectives and your own constant truth, like that is the only true is that it's not static that it is constantly evolving evolving yes in every moment even my relationship with my primary partner now is constantly evolving and sometimes we're more like friends and sometimes Mm -hmm. we're more like lovers and sometimes we're life partners and sometimes we're you know we're it is it is a constant evolution in each moment there's something different and new to be explored and it's for me the journey is being in truth with what that actually is rather than trying to make the relationship fit some kind of goal or ideal, but actually just like, what is the actual relationship that's happening right now? That's what what I'm interested in. And yeah. And what do we want? Yes. For ourselves, not necessarily for us, but for us individually. Beautiful. Yeah. And the, the space to like have that conversation. I want to do a whole podcast on how to have difficult conversations. I will. I think I'm going to do an online course, but just this, like, the ability to think outside of what society has prescribed to you. So thank you for dosing the world with that ability to think outside of the box. I really deeply appreciate that and all the other work that you do. And I love you dearly. <laughs> thank you for appreciating me and for having me on and introducing me to your, to your new uh, journey here. Mm. Oh, is there yeah. anything else that you want to share with anyone listening? Um, uh, I somehow that conversation that hits me off guard. I have one more fun thing that I can share as a kind of tool, a takeaway tool, which is something that we've been doing that just like uh, has a massive impact, which is this game called, um, what's preventing me from receiving your love. Mm -hmm. And, and the idea behind this is to, own what's on our side of the fence so like what's preventing me from receiving your love is you know um my judgments towards you have created a kind of a a block and I'm um and I'm having trouble approaching you because my judgments are in the way or like so is in a way not pointing the finger and saying this is what you do or this is what you always do but like really going inward and saying, wow, this is how I'm preventing myself. This is Mm -hmm. how I'm blocking my own heart from allowing the flow of love between us to flow, Mm -hmm. to move. Um, And, and this, this practice of owning this and inviting someone else into the ways that they're also maybe blocking themselves from giving and receiving love. I've just found this to be um, such a valuable and also like, again, like, intimacy cultivating uh kind of conversational difficult conversation practice Mm. 
And if anyone feels like any of those or any other practices that we shared are too far out there, quote unquote, if you're just not like you're maybe you're cerebral or super grounded or super in mainstream world and this is all new conversation, my advice is actually to take out paper and pen, set a timer for 10 minutes and write exactly what Rachel just said. What's preventing me from receiving your love is and then see where the pen goes. And the only rule is to not let the pen stop. Even if you're writing, I don't know what I'm writing. I don't know what I'm writing. And so just see what comes out like ask yourself these questions we all have to great you're ah. so br brilliant andy so embodiedintimacy.com rachel yes on facebook yes and embodied intimacy on facebook as well is the is the big with tons of videos tons of hundreds of hours of vulnerable shares <laughs> videos so good. No, too good too good thank you for the work you do in the, in this world my love i appreciate you infinitely thank you likewise i was listening to that for you if you learned from or moved by the episode pay it forward go to apple now and leave a five-star review so others can benefit join the institute for aliveness for a one-week transformational fasting experience consider getting an astrology reading from andy or enroll in the one-year health coach certification course. Whatever you do, don't let this learning pass you by. Do something now to impact your lifestyle for good. Here we are.